Welcome to the Evolving Advisor Podcast, dedicated to equipping independent financial advisors with the tips, insights, and knowledge to help you achieve success in business and life. Host Jeff Concepcion shares 30 years of experience as an advisor, entrepreneur, and CEO. Join Jeff and the industry's top thought leaders as they help you evolve from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow. Now here's your host, Jeff Concepcion. Hi, this is Jeff Concepcion, and welcome to the Evolving Advisor podcast. Uh, Very, very excited today to have the CEO uh, and founder of uh, Pareto Systems, Duncan McPherson. Duncan's firm is an industry-leading business development organization dedicated to helping elite professionals and companies in the fee-for-service sector. He and his team work with professionals in a wide range of fields, including financial services, insurance, accounting, legal, mortgage, and consulting to create predictable, sustainable, and duplicatable businesses. Pareto Systems is well known for its approach based on best practices and for its focus on implementation. As a speaker in high demand, Duncan travels throughout the country and throughout the world conveying uh, dynamic and fact-rich presentations that have made him a popular spokesperson for the fee-for-service industry. He's also an industry author and has written two best-selling books, Breaking Through, or I'm sorry, Breakthrough Business Development and Take Your Business to the Next Level, and then recently released The Advisor Playbook. Beyond the office, Duncan loves spending time with his family, his wife and two sons, uh, in what they call their four-season playground. I'm going to want to hear a little bit more about that. Uh, Kelowna, British Columbia. Uh, he enjoys staying active with recreational activities such as golf, tennis, and skiing. And I heard a little pickleball he just mentioned a few minutes ago in our preamble. So that that game seems to have become quite popular. I never even heard of pickleball until a year ago, and I played a few times, and it's pretty fun. Is that something you do often, Duncan? Or Yeah, Jeff, uh, when I play pickleball, it's – Kind of reminds me of how I felt when I played tennis in my 20s. It's just a little easier on the body and a little, you know, smaller court, easier to cover. And the the next day, I'm not in traction, you know, like I, I can actually function. So it's a great sport. That's funny. Did I pronounce that correctly, by the way? Is it Kelowna? Yeah, or- it is Kelowna. It's um, <clears throat> right in between Vancouver and Banff. And uh, so obviously I'm Canadian, although I spend a lot of time working with our American clients. Um, to give you some context, Kelowna would be like if you took Lake Tahoe and Napa Valley and put them together in Canada, that's what Kelowna is like. Sounds gorgeous. And have you, have you guys been there for a while? Uh, I, we moved here, uh, I guess it was about 14 years ago. Uh, I've been coming here for a long, long time, but, um, you know, back when I was traveling extensively, it's not an easy place to get in and out of. It would always be an extra flight, but uh, you get to a point where you just say, hey, I I want to enjoy life and it's a great place to raise kids. So, uh, yeah, it it really is quite terrific. So tell me, how did you get started in the practice management business? What was the genesis of forming Pareto Systems? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so somewhat accidental, as in, is often the case. But uh, for me, it was in the early to mid-90s. Uh, I was pivoting from a, a previous business into consulting. Many of our clients were in financial services. And uh, I had a breakthrough in 97 in the United States. 
that really got going, picked up steam in 99. And uh, so it evolved. And our philosophy and our process was being refined, but really governed by immutable laws and principles, one of which is the Pareto principle, right? The 80-20 rule. So I just thought, okay, let's represent our brand based on those universal fundamental principles. So that's that's where it came from. In the early days of Pareto, was there a niche and was there sort of an engagement that kind of helped you guys begin to build momentum and become viable? Uh, well, back in the early days, um, the industry was going through uh, a transition from the sort of broker world to the consultant world. And, you know, by definition, I would say the difference is asking someone to buy something or buy into something. Okay, so either buy a product, an investment product, or buy into a process and a philosophy based on the financial professional effectively being your advisor for life and even dynastic, like into the next generation. And so, so I timed it accidentally, but beautifully, as the industry was going through that, that transition. So I was talking about things like fee worthiness, uh, competitor proofing, uh, getting out in front of money in motion, and most importantly, advocacy. So fortunately for me, my approach was very conducive to attracting a high quality and quantity of introductions. So good quality referrals from high net worth clients. And because my approach was process driven, it was very predictable. And um, the right caliber, the right uh, advisors really embraced it and started waving the flag. So that's where the traction really kicked in for me. Uh, and it's it's been... It's been pretty great since then. Yeah, you use the term advocacy. I'm wondering what comes to mind because I can tell you in my vernacular in the early days as an advisor and then you know working to manage and coach other folks, there's there's a lot of similarity in terms of what you said. I would I would view someone who purchased something, a product likely, as a customer. Right. Someone where there's sort of an ongoing relationship as a client and someone who really understands the value that you bring and appreciates you at a very different level as an advocate. They're, not only are they doing business with you ongoing, but they can help be a connector and introduce you to other people and replicate that relationship. But that kind of three-tiered system with a hierarchy being an advocate you know, versus a client versus a customer, I heard you mention advocacy. What comes to mind for you when you think about advocacy? Well, it's interesting you bring that up. So... Um, I, I remember talking to very high caliber advisors and they would ask me, how do I get more referrals? And I'd say, okay, so are you referable? Do you deserve referrals? And that would bring up a really good conversation. And I'd say, okay, so if you're referable, why aren't you getting referrals? Or the quality or quantity you feel you should and they'd say, well, you know, I just don't like going there. I don't want to bring it up. And I don't like a lot of the tactics that are being suggested in the industry. You know, like the, I get paid in three ways and I'm trying to grow my business. Who else do you know? And it's a tremendous compliment to refer someone to me. And, you know, fine. 
But the, the, the really enlightened advisors wouldn't go there because they didn't want to come off as being needy and putting you know the client on the spot. So from that was born a philosophy that said, look, don't pitch the idea of a referral as a favor you're asking of someone. Instead, position it as a service you're providing for someone and really understand the dynamic of what advocacy means. So an advocate doesn't refer a friend to you because they're trying to help you grow your business. They feel they're doing a friend a disservice by not making the introduction. So they're actually an advocate for the advisor's value and they're an advocate for the friend. And they see that alignment of interests, they make the introduction and they expect nothing in return. So that doesn't, you know, that that isn't created through salesmanship or tactics. It's be referable by the quality of value you bring and then communicate and position it properly and good quality introduction will come. And, you know, you throw in some volatility like the last 18 months or so, and that's where advisors are at such a high level of referability because money is so topical. It's just like the perfect storm of, of introductions. And, you know, our clients have gotten higher quality, more frequent referrals than ever before, uh, which for some people is counterintuitive, but that's that's the reality. So anyway, long-winded response, but that's that's how I view advocacy is the person making the introduction feels good about both parties. Yeah, it's it's funny when when I used to get into the and I'm going I'm going back a ways now because I haven't been client as client facing or spending as much time in client facing activities for a while. But one of the things I used to do when I would talk about you know introductions or referrals, and I did it probably because I was weak. I'm by nature I like to help people more naturally, and it's less natural for me to ask for help. So I would review when it came time to talk about introductions or referrals, what we'd accomplished. Do you know in the last year, Duncan, we updated your wills and trusts and we were able to remove your life insurance from your estate. And by adding a cash balance plan, you're now able to put away $150,000 a year pre-tax in addition to what you did previously while making only a small contribution for other and sort of quantifying all that value. I'm sure there are other folks you know who could benefit from this same type of work and have that same experience and peace of mind and tax savings. And so, you know, so I would almost sort of reposition the value that I felt like I could add to other folks and remind them of the value that I had provided to them only because it made me more comfortable engaging in that conversation. So I think everybody has a different approach, but that's kind of back in the day what, what I was comfortable doing. So, well, and the reason why that was so well received is because it's, it's authentic and there's a social proof to it that if I'm your client and you deliver that value to me, uh, I know others who are like me who probably have the same unmet need that you could address. And ultimately, uh, I, I want to feel good that that if I make an introduction, it's going to reflect very well on me. Okay, so so that added to your referability. The only thing I would add in this era, especially to that, is the concept of the calling. And what I mean by that is, you know, while, while many advisors are so fixated on the how of referability, it's just as important to understand the why 
Okay, so the how is the process, but the why is the purpose. So what I'm constantly reminding advisors of now is keep reminding your clients about why you became a financial advisor, how fulfilling it is, and how it's really part of your sense of purpose. And it's not a job. You don't have to do this. You get to do this. And it it means a lot to you. And it means a lot to the people that you interact with. And the balance of the why and the how is almost like, you know, hand in glove. It's this perfect formula and is very well received by clients. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So when when you look, obviously, you and your firm have had a look into, you know, thousands of professionals across various um, industries. When you think about fee for service, what are some of the best practices that you see and really twofold? from a business development standpoint, and then when you think about wealth management from a deliverable standpoint. So what are those what are those best practices doing for the firms that are growing uh, to, to attract new clients? And do you see anything unique in the services that they deliver or the experience that they create for clients that you would consider best practice? Well, I think the operative concept there is the experience, right? What it means to be your client. So um, not to oversimplify it, but Essentially, I say to advisors specifically, I say your, your technical ability and your core competency is really important, but it's being commoditized. So why not, in the spirit of professional contrast, place as much importance on practice management and relationship management as you do on wealth management? Because practice management creates a client experience. Relationship management means that clients understand and appreciate your value and can articulate it to others. Those two are proprietary. They're yours. Okay. Wealth management is not proprietary. It's a, it's a minimum requirement that you're, that you're good there. Just balance it out. And though that's what we find um, is, is really amplifying someone's value and appreciation in the eyes of the clients that, it's not promissory on short-term performance rates of return, things like that. It's promissory on, hey, this is what it means to be our client over the lifetime of the relationship and into the next generation. And the timeliness of that is very, very powerful. So when you th- when you think about some of the practices that you've looked at and some of the practices that you've coached, uh, are there any things that you see that they're doing sort of experientially in terms of uh, the frequency of the contact or the nature of the deliverables or the services that they're providing beyond kind of the stepping stone, right? The stepping stone is you're going to give me good advice on how to manage my portfolio, but that's not financial planning, right? That's not kind of a broad-based service. Are there best practices that you see or things that you recommend to advisors? If you're only doing X today, if you really want to retain those clients or turn those clients into advocates, you know, these are the type of things you need to be thinking about. Does anything come to mind in that regard? Well, and I know in your uh, business, your enterprise, your community of advisors, you take all of this very seriously. I, I think what's absolutely the, the game changer is the self-awareness where an advisor says, look, I've got a book, but not a business. So what I'm going to start doing is really working on my business and adopting best practices, refining and optimizing uh, the operations of my business to create a you know, consistent client experience and creating roles and responsibilities and 
uh, a playbook of best practices. Uh, just generally speaking, that mindset is absolutely profound and it's ongoing. I mean, it's, it's not like you get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm done. No, you, you keep uh, professionalizing and standardizing uh, the, the practice management approach. And that puts so much distance between the pack and that elite uh, advisor. And, um, you know, so I'd say, you know, and we internally, we have this phrase called always on, always working on yourself, always working on your business. And uh, not only does that impact organic growth, but it also drives enterprise value and positions uh, the advisor for scalable growth if they want to grow in, in those terms. But, you know, again, just simplistically, I'd say it's not a book, it's a business. So when you think about relationships and engagements and what things look like typically, and then maybe if you think about uh, in you know sort of the interesting times that we've been in, are there any changes or nuances that you've seen? Because obviously situationally, right, whether it's a significant market correction or COVID or, you know, anything that advisors have experienced, they're sort of the, um, you know, time, time tested, you know, traditional things that people fall back to. And then there might be sort of these nuanced uh, or interim engagements, relationships, services. What do you see that's sort of the norm and the constant? And where do you see maybe ebbs and flows that might be driven by, you know, a current environment? Well, I'll just immediately jump to what I think are two very powerful silver linings that have come out of this episode. Uh, the first is to enable the advisor and the team to go back and reintroduce themselves to their existing clients. And, you know, there's a, there's a natural familiarity that can develop in long-term relationships that can create a, a loyalty fatigue where it's hard to put your finger on, but you just sort of get to the point where you start to take re the relationship for granted. Going back and sort of rejuvenating that is incredibly powerful. And the best uh, adjustment that we've seen advisors making is rebranding uh, the review meeting and calling it a strategy and tactical meeting and positioning that strategy and tactical meeting as the keystone of the process where they invest the past into the future. So it's no longer about rehashing things that have already happened. It, it's, it's investing and, and being crystal clear on the adjustments and the mid-course corrections that are being made, not assuming that there's an alignment, but just validating that in that keystone and doing that either face-to-face -face or digitally over an online platform and, and really building that out, being agenda-driven, ramping it up properly, executing it properly, and following through properly, that minor adjustment has led to major improvements and has been a real silver lining because that's easy to do. The other one is uh, how many advisors I've met that have used the last year and a half or so as an opportunity to really take care of themselves. Um, you know, the old expression, right? You can't pour from an empty cup. Uh, leading up to, you know, 2020, uh, I met a lot of advisors that were working very, very hard, but the client's success and happiness was coming at the advisor's expense. 
right? So they working long hours and, you know, maybe neglecting a few things at home or from a, a health perspective. And it, the advisors that became aware of that and started being more deliberate and scheduling time uh, to exercise and to be present and, you know, really go deeper at home and things like that. You know, there's an old saying, right? The best way to take impeccable care of your clients is to take impeccable care of yourself. And, you know, I'm actually going to do a video because this comes out of a couple of consultations I've done lately. The video I'm going to call is the case for 52 long weekends. And what I mean by that is I've got many clients who work four days a week. Now, they still work 40 hours a week. But they've realized that the more they professionalize their business, they themselves do not need to be present every day for their business to be productive. But they work Monday to Thursday. They take Friday off every Friday. And maybe they started by taking half of Friday off, but now they take all of Friday off to rejuvenate and take care of themselves. And they can't wait to get back to work on Monday. And everybody respects that adjustment. So those are two silver linings I've seen come out of the last, uh, you know, year and a half or so. Yeah. It's interesting with the work-life balance. I think you have some great insights there. And even with the four day work week, I mean, I, there, there for many years, like when we're talking about advisors or new teams that come on board, I'd say it's one thing to increase your revenue or grow your revenue to one and a half or two times what it is today. What's more impressive is to do that while working less at some point you have to have the benefit of experience and knowledge and skill. And if you leverage that properly and you delegate and you build an organization around you, a business versus a a practice, uh, you should have enough talent around you that if you only do the few things where you can move the needle and others around you do it well, I think that five days could become four days. I think four days could become three days. And it doesn't mean that the practice won't grow. I think you're more thoughtful and intentional on the days that you are engaged, not only with how you spend those days, but the tasks that you accept and the tasks that you don't. So that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Well, well, and, and Jeff, there's a real congruency to that too, because it's kind of what the client aspires to as well. And it almost gives them permission that it's real, that they can move a little closer to that sort of work optional lifestyle uh, because it, it, it reaffirms that money is a means to an end. It's not how much money we have that's really the goal. It's what it all does, the liberation, the order that it creates and the ability to move towards self-actualization, that best version of myself. And I, I say this so respectfully, but the, the clients that we tend to attract, the advisors we attract, these are not the advisors who are going to die at their desks. They love what they do. It, it really is a calling, but they do have that work-life balance. Um, so they, they have a complete life away from the office and they're energetic, they're fulfilled, they have a a spark, you know, a twinkle in their eye. But when they're working, they're productive. So, you know, that that is part of the balance, right? No, absolutely. I had a conversation last week with uh, one of our offices in the Midwest, and he had a seller on the phone. And our advisor who was buying uh, was in his late 50s, and the seller was in his early 50s. And his comment was, I love what I do, but only so much. He said, I've got financial independence without selling my book. I realized that if I sold the book, it's just going to simply add 
to that bucket. And while I enjoy the clients and I want them to be in a good place and everything I have today is a function of the trust they placed in me and the the business that I was able to build, there are other things I'd rather do with my time. And, you know, I think a lot of people, COVID has forced them to think a little bit differently. And this is a guy who, you know, is now looking to exit the industry, not because he doesn't enjoy what he does, but because he can, and because there are other things that he probably thinks he could enjoy more. So pretty intriguing. Like pickleball. Like pickleball. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So so of your books, the most recent, Advisor Playbook, uh, are there some learnings you can maybe distill or share from from that book that might be helpful and might be a teaser for folks that would be interested in learning more about the new book? Yeah. So probably my favorite is the fact that you know the, the caliber of team that we work with there's nothing wrong. There's nothing broken. Like we're not trying to repair something. There's just some tweaks and adjustments. And the analogy I use, it's like, if you have a fundamentally sound home and you decide you want to sell that home, you want to get maximum value. So what you have to do is you have to see it through the sell, the buyer's eyes. So inevitably you'll stage the home. So you'll declutter it. It'll be immaculate. You might, you know, have some fresh cut flowers and bake some banana bread before the open house. All so that that first impression, they walk in and they say to themselves, I want this, right? It's bought, not sold. So my point is the opening portion of the advisor playbook puts a real emphasis on sort of staging the business, not to sell, but to make sure that when a prospective client gets exposed to that advisor, they feel automatic contrast. So there's an old saying, right, that for you to get hired, someone's got to get fired. Well, a prospective client needs to come to their own conclusions about that. So long story short, the opening portion of the books talks about branding and making sure you've got professional contrast and demystifying your value. It's such a simple adjustment that leads to profound outcomes. Uh, so that would probably be my favorite part of the book. I mean, there's there's some great nuggets in there, all proven, all actionable. But that that portion would probably be my favorite because it is the lowest hanging fruit that gets captured because of that adjustment. Terrific, terrific. Uh, any any final thoughts to share? There's a lot of uh, a lot of pearls of wisdom, I think, and. And I think you're right. You know, a lot of the great things that we can accomplish aren't necessarily super complex. If when you ask an advisor to talk about their business or themselves or how to differentiate, um, a lot of them are not able to say that in a clear and concise way. So when you talk about branding and you know being clear on what the value is and what the experience is and what the deliverables are, um, it's interesting because I think so many of us are compelled to spend so much time in our business. We spend very little time on our business and spending time on the business can often reap dividends, whether it's clarity of message or focus on tasks or kind of visioning what you, what the business is today and what you'd like it to be down the road. These things don't happen by themselves. So it takes thought and it takes effort. Um, and any final thoughts, Duncan? Well, it's interesting. Uh, as I heard you there, it got me thinking about one of my favorite outcomes, and that is plateau avoidance. And what I mean by that is the, the caliber advisor we work with, 
all the qualities and skills they possess are, are basically impossible to teach. The, the issue is, though, is they end up being on a collision course with a plateau because they, they basically run out of time. There's 24 hours in the day and they kind of max out. And when we help them unlock uh, a different mindset around capacity... And then stop being their own best kept secret because many good advisors are so understated in the way they represent their value. When we help them uh, ensure that they're articulating value that people understand, it, it becomes very attractive, very aspirational. So those two adjustments help to achieve that plateau avoidance, but also uh add a little bit more fulfillment to the role as opposed to getting bogged down in some of the minutia of transacting or reacting. So, you know, I, as I hear myself, I, I'm just reminded that, yeah, I love what I do as well. And it's, it's a very powerful, accretive dynamic that I've got with our clients because they love what they do as well. Yeah. We're, we're in a great industry and I, I'm, I'm, I'm always grateful when I think about, you know, when you work hard and do well in the space that we happen to be in, you can really create a tremendous lifestyle for you and your family. There are lots of folks who work hard and do well, but maybe have ceilings or don't have the capacity to have the freedom of time or the the freedom to earn and you know at, at the level that we can. So it's certainly a a great industry, and I want to thank you and your team for all the work that you do to help folks in our industry, you know, achieve their goals and 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 be better practitioners and better business owners. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And I, I heard a rumor that you were going to uh, pay tribute to one of my favorite songs on this podcast. Is that happening? Well, or no? I heard a rumor that you were going to pay tribute to one of your favorite songs on this podcast. So, uh... <laughs> well, when Ryan on my end told me about the the concept of the karaoke, um, I, I went first of all. I went right to one of my favorite songs of all time. It's called "Red Barchetta" by Rush. The problem is, though, nobody could recreate the sound of Geddy Lee singing. So I just couldn't even come close. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, I heard that song a long time ago, like in the early 80s. I was very young, but I was just getting into cars. And it's got to be the best car song ever made. And that song could come out now. It would stand up against anything. So, anyway, there's my two cents on Rush and... Red I'm playing the song. That'll be the first thing I do when we hang up is I'm going to play that song in my office. So. My uncle has a country place no one knows about. He says it used to be a farm before the motor lost.
Thanks for listening to The Evolving Advisor. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and share it with your colleagues. And if you would like to talk about succession planning or practice acquisitions, please drop us a line. We would love to help you in any way we can.